You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reeder. This podcast is brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and Pro Extra, a wholly owned division of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there, and welcome to episode 41 of the Exhibitionist Podcast. How are you doing this week? Are you in the middle of tense conversations about who's going to be allowed to come around for Christmas or which tier you're going into at the end of this week? It does continue to be a really, really challenging time for everybody across the country. So hopefully in the next half hour, you can forget about that a little bit, get a brew and uh, help yourself plan for some fantastic shows in the new year. We're going to be talking to Andrew Evans shortly, who did actually manage to deliver an event this year, albeit outside. So it'll be great to hear from him on how he went about actually trying to challenge some of the guidance and deliver a really safe event um, over the summer period. But there were two things I just wanted to pick up on quickly before we do that. And that's firstly about virtual events and how do exhibitors approach planning for a virtual event? This came up from a client of ours this week who said, what do I do? Why is it different? How do I engage people? And I think from some of the things that I'm reading, virtual events are evolving and we're almost kind of in a second phase now where early on in the year, a lot of event organizers flipped very quickly to just moving their event online and just delivering something, trying to create some kind of engagement. But there was a huge amount that we learned from those about what did and didn't work. And while we're not yet fully into the hybrid situation where we can run live events with a virtual alongside, we are still in that virtual event time. We have learned an awful lot since earlier in the year, and that will help all of you exhibitors who maybe in the first half of next year are going to be participating in fully virtual events still. So I've been asked, what's my advice? How as an exhibitor do I prepare best for virtual? And you know, the best thing I can probably say to you is go to a few, register for some, log on, have a wander around, listen to some seminars and see what engages you. I had a truly terrible experience last week at a virtual event mentioning no names, um, but none of the networking worked. Um, I couldn't get to exhibitors who were in booths that I wanted to talk to. Somebody or several companies approached me not knowing a thing about me trying to engage on something that I would never have bought. And it was really, really frustrating. So I think my my biggest piece of advice is just sign up for some if it's an area of interest that you've got in your personal life be that music or running or home styling or anything then take something that you're already interested in and just go and attend an event and see what stands out for you see what works and then apply some of those lessons that you've learned into your own planning for your exhibition what we're definitely learning is that people are looking for content when they go to virtual events rather than necessarily networking. And that could just be more about where they are in their own recovery so that they're into their own personal development rather than necessarily in a buying phase at the moment. Um, but certainly those virtual events seem to be very content heavy and that seems to be what visitors to those events are looking for. So think about how you might be able to use that to your advantage in your business. But definitely go and go and experience a couple and see what you like and what you don't like. The second thing I wanted to pick up on, which I thought was a really interesting idea from Julian Agostini, who, who is the MD of MASH Media. And I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this, which is a suggestion to the government that we let the event industry run the vaccine programme. Now, that kind of feels like a really strange idea. Why would we do that? We don't necessarily have a medical background. Why would we get involved in what's going to be the biggest peacetime medical health rollout that we've ever seen? But actually, when you start to think about it, what are we going to need when we start to see that vaccine rolled out? Well, we're going to need brilliant logistics, planning for lots of people in one place at a time and shepherding them through a process, great registration and tracking details of um, making sure who's been there and who's been vaccinated. General operations of keeping people calm and relaxed at quite an anxious time, big spaces, crowd control, all that stuff that we as event organisers or you as event organisers do week in, week out without even thinking twice. So actually, when you think about it, why wouldn't you hand this whole vaccination rollout over to the events industry. It kind of makes an awful lot of sense. They're probably going to be using some of the venues that we all operate in all the time. 
So when I first read the headline, I thought, what? That's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. But actually, when you read the story, maybe there's something in that. So it's on the Exhibition News and um, Exhibition World website. So go and have a read of that. And definitely let me know your thoughts. Tweet me or email me or get in touch um, on the phone just to let me know what you think about. Would you feel safe going along and getting vaccinated? Not necessarily by us event individuals administering the injections but certainly running the whole um, event logistics behind it it, it kind of made some sense to me um, so those were just a couple of things that I'd picked up on this week that I thought were interesting but I am sure you are much more interested in hearing from our guest today so I am going to hand over to the conversation that we had with Andrew Evans who is MD of Thorough Events just a couple of weeks ago and apologies um, we got so carried away in our conversation that I kind of forgot to introduce Andrew on this one so I will formally introduce him but it kind of comes halfway through the conversation so apologies for that and enjoy the chat. So how are you how's it going? Uh, yeah, it's fine. I um, I kind of had this view that that we might all be in. I wasn't alone in this. We might all be in for quite a long winter, and it's starting to feel a bit like that. Um, I'm I've realised you know you you kind of search your soul a bit and you you find out things that you didn't know about yourself. And I, I've definitely discovered since March that my cup is more half full than empty. There's no question about that. Right. And that's not superficial. It's just something I wasn't consciously aware of. Why would you be? And no one ever asked you that question anyway. But but there is a positivity that's required to get through this. And um, I guess for some people, that's perhaps easier than others. My, my own view is that with a bit of bloody mindedness and determination and a positive spirit, most things are achievable. But but you have to start with those assets and for some people, that's not easy. And I think in, in the context of work, there are a lot of businesses that have found it easier to retract, um, initially anyway, imagining that there'd be a, uh, a narrow window of um, no activity and then things would sort of bounce back. And that clearly isn't the case right now. We could be yeah. at, trade, at trade level or at indoor event level. We could we, you know, we could be seeing a year without any activity. And... and um, I've never really wanted to accept that. Um, not, 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 not through any determination to be anything other than responsible. But, but equally, if if we all sat back and hunkered in uh, a relatively warm rut, big businesses have some of them been able to do that. Then um, nothing happens really. I, I, if if there is something that I feel sorry about, it's that our industry is just not getting the attention that it deserves. Yeah. Uh, and I've got so much empathy for the hospitality industry and for the theatre uh, markets and entertainment, <coughs> entertainment. But it seems like we don't blip. And as you well know, it's an, it's an eighty billion pound environment that we're responsible for here. And and at business to business level, which is not really what I'm doing at the moment in my life, but but at that level. Um, we are critical to 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 you know the resurgence of normalised trading in the UK, uh, and and yet we don't seem to be getting a share of voice. So I'm I'm disappointed about that. It's not a criticism about any mm. one of the individual bodies mm. that represent us. I think they're working tirelessly to achieve this, but it's well, there's just not cut through, is there? There isn't. There isn't, and I think the frustrating thing for me, kind of agree with absolutely everything that that you say there. Um, but also just how quickly venues responded to becoming Nightingale hospitals and helping to build those Nightingale hospitals. And they were the heroes of that kind of very early bit of the pandemic. And that, that goodwill didn't really get us anywhere. You know, all of that. It, it seemed like the government forgot that very quickly. And then it's like, oh, yeah, well, we're not going to open you again now. We'll just turn everything back to Nightingale hospitals again. You know, I think Harrogate's gone yeah. back. Manchester's yeah. gone back. So, you know, it's that kind of... Um, just frustration about actually there was an awful lot we did to help you as the government as an industry early on and that just hasn't really been carried through with into that mutuality I don't think so yeah yeah and, and I guess I, I don't know I, I like most people was absolutely infuriated at the Edwina Curry uh diatribe of go get trained in something else because we can't save all the puppies <laughs> it's like well if, I, I don't know about you but I, I've been doing this for 35 years 
I'm quite hard to retrain. <laughs> I would yeah. imagine. But more than that, the reason I do it is because I love it. I've got a genuine yeah. love for what I do, for creating events that bring people together, that celebrate fantastic, memorable experiences. And, and that that helps the psyche uh, of, of people. And that's just swept to one. It feels like it's just swept to one side in and amongst a sea of understandable priorities. Yeah. But um yeah, I get. I guess people, the, the great British public, resonate with theatres and resonate with hotels and restaurants more than they do things that happen within trade shows and Excel and NEC and and you know Manchester and SECC etc. But it's it's a complete tragedy. I I feel so sad when I I look at my sort of LinkedIn collective and and see these omnipresent green circles and just think christ it's it's desperate yeah within all of that um i do think that there is there is room for positivity and that as a a sector we're driven people we don't do it for the money we do it for other reasons and and that that spirit will prevail at some point i just I just wish we could get a bit more traction early on. Yeah, it's quite interesting, actually, because we I think we were, when we were talking last week, I said we do conference programs for a lot of the, the exhibitions and kind of even just a month ago, probably when I was trying to reach out to speakers and say, are you interested in talking at shows in kind of April, May time? People were very much, you're not going ahead, are you? Surely that's going to be virtual. And actually, just this week, I've had some masses of traction around the emergency services show which is obviously kind of critically involved at the moment in in COVID response food shows that we work on um construction shows we work on and people just saying, oh yeah I can't, I can't wait to get back and just talk to real people it's definitely going to go ahead isn't it there's so much we've got to talk about so much we've learned and um you know we were talking to William Reed yesterday and, and they're kind of the first show I think pretty much in the NEC um in April and it's just that kind of, there is that positivity and it, a real change, I think, in momentum, certainly from the content perspective. Um, yeah. and, and sales, actually, you know, you talk to the sales teams and, and, and sales are good for a lot of the, the shows because people just want to get back and want to get talking to people. So. Yeah, I think our, our medium will be reevaluated in the eyes of many people. And I mean, I'm, I'm too old in the tooth because I remember the advent of the Internet, for Christ's sakes. And, and we all thought that would kill us. And we found it was complimentary. Yeah. And I think that, that this COVID thing has polarised uh, for many people uh, a sort of focus of attention on what they really enjoyed about live events. And, yeah. and you cannot replace the serendipity of a live event with a virtual environment the virtual environments i think have become very well clearly they're much more they're much more accepted and adopted and and then the platforms themselves are getting better and better we're using one now um but they won't replace the experience of a live event they'll complement it uh there is a there is a you know particularly in the business to business world i imagine there is a considered benefit in um the, the virtual platforms and what they can do to drive uh, attention awareness traction adoption and then ultimately a data set that you can hope to convert to become attendees at a live event so everything has its place but it's not it's not live or not live in my world it's yeah, live completely. or prevail yeah i heard a really good phrase um just this week that let me remember it now i think it was saying uh, virtual exhibitions drive data live exhibitions drive experiences yeah, and that's so absolutely that's true. Quite yeah. a, a good yeah. way of, of explaining it. So um, I must do a formal introduction to you to our show, and uh, sure. we'll probably use some of what we've just been talking about. We'll we'll slice it into into the show somewhere as well because it's all really good stuff. But um, so I've got you, Andrew Evans, managing director of Thorough Events and director of Blue Sixty Five. Uh, well, how am I currently engaged? I. Um, I've spent a lot of my working life working for big corporations. Most recently, I suppose my most recent experience was at Centaur Media, where I ran the live events business within Centaur. That that at one point comprised 130 events and give or take 260 staff. Uh, so, so I've kind of worked in private and public event organising businesses. I uh, you know, I, I regard myself as an event professional first. I have published, uh, but it's it's not necessarily my first love or skill. I can do it, but I but but I um, have spent a long time. I feel like it's a long time anyway, um, working in and around the live space. Um, I, I decided I was swimming against a tide of happiness. Is the way I describe my final year. Sat in a boardroom, um, working in an environment that was almost 
for me, entirely inwardly focused as opposed to externally referenced. And the, the major external reference was around shareholder satisfaction. I didn't derive uh, any, any great pleasure from that. And I thought, actually, I've just turned 50. I need to sort myself out because I need to skip to work every day. I can't, I'm, I'm not someone that can wander on a, you know, on a platform, get on a train and do the mundane thing. I need to have an energy almost that's self-propelled. And I wasn't getting that back from the sort of large corporate world. It doesn't mean that it, it's not possible. I've achieved a lot of, you know, happy years. Uh, but I decided to, to, to exit there and to try and set myself up actually in um, building a small event company. And you learn a lot along the way, don't you? But my first learning uh, was that it's not as simple as it would seem. Secondly, um, I, I, the first thought was go and find the money. Um, and so I set about doing that and, and inverted commas had a number of, uh, of backers that were going to support me. But trying to find the asset to buy became the, the, the second problem. So in and along that journey of exploration, I had a number of people saying to me, but if you're not working at Centaur and you've got all this experience, why don't you come and help me? And it was project-based work to such a degree that I found myself being blown off course. And therefore I had to create a company that was centered around a consulting capacity that I'd never imagined I wanted to go into, but helping other people whilst I sought my own avenue of, of you know, buying and building an event company. And that's where Blue 65 comes in. So Blue 65 is a consulting business. Uh, it's a, it's um, a, a business that's specialist around helping others to create value from live event assets. And, uh, and, and that business is now in its, well, approaching its fifth year. Um, within that, I found myself uh, doing a number of projects, one of which was with this business, Thorough Events, that I'd never heard of, um, and a company that, that produce uh, a really credible um, and unusual automotive event, a Concor. And I don't know if you or your listeners know what a Concor is. Why would you? But it's a, it's a beauty parade, in essence. It's a competition, a beauty parade of rare and unusual automobilia. And you don't have to be a petrol head to get it. In actual, in actual fact, if you enjoy art and aesthetics, you're much more likely to get it than you are if you understand the inner workings of a V6 or a V8 engine. Um, so, so this business uh, had been running for five years with a really wonderful concourse of elegance um, that was peripatetic. It took place at numerous very special venues in the UK. Um, Windsor, Windsor Castle being one, St. James's Palace, Holyrood House. And... Uh, Hampton Court Palace and they had a launch plan for an event uh, that was uh, distinct from what they'd already been doing which was one in London in, in, in specifically in the square mile so a concourse event for uh, the working professional um, in the square mile that might bring um, I suppose an alternative to the summertime calendar the traditional calendar of Henley Asker, etc., um, but around automotive, so an automotive garden party in, in, in the heart of the city. And I looked at the business plan and I said, look, this is really exciting. I love the subject. I like cars. Um, the challenge that we've got is that um, you've got a dateline, and I met them on February the 14th, Valentine's Day. You've got a dateline that, that is either 15 months away or three months away, and I'm hoping you're going to say 15 months, and they said no. And I said, well, you're insane because no one launches a public event, a consumer event in three months. But there we are. We did. Um, they said, look, we, it's either now. We can't wait any longer. So I, so I acted. I met them as a consultant. I launched and um, ran the first London Concours. And then they asked me to step a bit deeper into their world and to, to, to become a, um, the manager of their business, the managing director of their business. So, so I have a dual aspect, really. I, I, I run uh, thorough events, but I do so through the consulting company that I run. And I also do a series of other projects um, in and around the event space, mentoring, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's a bit convoluted, but that's why there are thorough <laughs> events and Blue 65. Yeah, and a really, really varied experience and background there, and um, obviously a real veteran of the of the industry. And I think one of the things I've picked up in the couple of conversations um, that we've had leading into this podcast is just your your positivity and can do attitude, which is so crucial in this industry. So you know that kind of you'd be insane to launch that in three months. Well, let's just do it, but find out 
what do we need to overcome? What are the barriers we need to knock down? What are the challenges? And nine times out of 10 in events, there will be a way, a way to do something. You've just got to not take the first no. You've just got to find the way around, way around it. And we've talked a lot about positivity. It's been a really, really challenging year. So tell me how the last few months have been for you. How have you navigated your way through um, the COVID pandemic in 2020? Well, from a, from a business perspective, like everybody else, I, I, I remember exiting London. I live in Surrey. I remember I commute every day. I remember exiting London and I think it was the 17th of, of March and taking a photograph of the concourse from the top of the escalator uh, because I was just staggered that here we were in rush hour and it was empty. And I made a post. I'm not a habitual poster, but I made a post saying, I wonder when this will come back to normality and then came home and set myself up in my home office here. I'm fortunate because I've, I've got a room that I can dedicate to it. Um, as a business, we looked at the potential outcomes and they weren't very pretty, to be honest with you. We're an event company, that's all we do. Uh, we had two choices, both which looked on paper like they would end up um, being financially in negative territory. So don't run any events, lock down uh, the business, uh, shelter from the storm and hope that when the wind stops blowing, everything will be okay. Um, the alternative was go at it, try and run these events uh, of which there are two in the UK, accept that there's a whole load of um, new experiences that you're going to encounter. And the likelihood is still that as a business, and we're all in business for profit at some point, you won't make money. So on the basis that we'd accepted we weren't going to make money, it was the, the, the choice of two evils. Um, I, I'm not someone that can sit and watch stuff go by. I'm inquisitive by nature. And so we found ourselves doing the sensible thing, which was taking a hunkered down approach and going into something a bit more than a trickle feed. Um, so we, we're not massive as a business. Uh, we we um, furloughed half of the team and um, what that meant was uh, those that remained, and there were very few of us, were going to be working double time, um, but, but, but we felt that that was the necessary thing to do in a period of evaluation to see whether or not our enthusiasm for running these events might be matched by everybody in our world. Um, by that, the venue, uh, venues, I should say, uh, the supply chain, the potential partners, the sponsors and partners, the exhibitors, the revenue stream, and then finally the audience. And of course that last bit, we, we knew that we wouldn't have a clear reading on that until very, very close to the event dateline. So, so we took a measured approach, we scaled down the size of our business, the overhead, and then set about you know, planning what success might look like. And, and the first part of that was recognizing that I'd got a dateline in June, and it was highly unlikely that we were going to be able to deliver an event in, in that period. So, so the first thing that we did was contact the venue. In this case, we're talking about the London Concourse. So it's the Honourable Artillery Company, uh, who are a small uh, and very interesting venue. It's a treasured space in, in the city. It's, it's for those that haven't been, it's a, it's a military establishment. Uh, it's a sports ground. That's one of the ways of describing it with real estate that is probably ranked uh, as some of the most expensive, well, certainly around around a cricket pitch, it's the second most valuable cricket pitch in the, in the world uh, because it sits in the slap bang in the square mile. But there's five and a half acres and it's beautiful. And what we needed to do was to get the venue to agree to work with us in a, in a collaboration to try and navigate these rather difficult waters. So, so Dateline was critical, as with any event. Um, the venue... Uh, wanted to work with us and I don't say that with an element of surprise because they've demonstrated a real partnership in in, in the, the three years that we've, we've been working with them but what I found that was that my enthusiasm was matched by their determination and the outcome of this story is one that must give credit to a whole host of partners because without their support frankly my determination was irrelevant, really. Um, and and they, they became a true partner in the sense of they wanted it to happen, but not necessarily for financial reasons. They just wanted to be an event that took place. And, and, and so sort of credit to them. Yeah, and I think it's, um, it's so important. There was 
there was that spirit of collaboration and and we just want to deliver something and actually the financial implication of that is is less of a concern it's about actually just making something happen that we think is important and um it may be that some of our listeners are thinking actually you you had it really easy you've got an outdoor event there are loads of stuff that you just wouldn't have even had to think about that those of us trying to get back into events inside are perhaps having to consider but I, I think that's probably not the case I think there's probably a lot that you learned during the planning and delivery of those events that is really relevant um, for all of us so what were some of the big challenges that you came across in actually delivering those in in the summer well so I suppose the first the first uh, part of the journey was was to try to understand the levels of permission that would be granted to enable me to run an event with, without a dark cloak demon coming from an agency with the power to shut me down and our approach to that, I say ours because it was a collaboration between me and, and the venue, um, was to navigate a rule book really, or at least to create a rule book. Remember that the hardest thing within all of this is that you're given guidance, you're not given rules. So you have to interpret the guidance and then create a plan. Uh, there was a pivotal moment and I was sitting, having a cup of coffee one morning, watching the breakfast news, and, the, and there was an announcement from the government that the that markets in the UK would be permitted to open. And that was a pivotal moment because it, it immediately occurred to me that actually that's what we do. We, we create marketplaces, be they trade shows, be they consumer shows. We're bringing people together to interact with an outcome that, that at some point will be business beneficial. It could be a transactional or, or otherwise. But the thing, the perversity about the government's decision to enable that to happen was that there were no controls within that environment. A public market and the people that manage public markets cannot determine how many people are coming at any one time, who's coming, where they've been before. And I, 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 and I suppose that's where determination turned into, um, I suppose, anger's a strong word. I wasn't angry, um, but it gave me even more commitment to make this thing happen because I thought I do that for a living but I can do it better. I can bring in protocols, I can introduce safety, and I'm lucky, I've got an outdoor environment. And everything that I was reading at the time, and remember most of this was around the April, uh, May time, was that it was, a, it was a lot harder to contract COVID outdoors than it was indoors. So, so the spur was that public statement that said, the government statement that said that, that markets can, can open. I started at that point to put the coffee down and with a pad, I bullet pointed all the considerations that I thought might form the basis of a compliance program. And I sent it to the HAC and I said, tell me what you think. They took it away, they embellished it. We went to and fro with it. And then uh, almost by default, we created a, a, a set of protocols, guidelines of our own that we felt we, we felt confident in sharing with uh, the authorities to 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 visualize a safe environment in which to work. It's true to say that right the way through this, very it's a lot easier if you know you're not going to make profit, by the way, because you can focus on other things. And, and the thing that we focused on was an environment that was safe for all of our customers. And by that, the sponsors, the exhibitors, the visitors. Because they, without that assurance, to be honest with you, you know, they would they would have had doubt. So we created this template. I laughably called it a blueprint plan, like I'm a professor, um, but it was based on common sense. We refined it and, and then together with the venue's considerable help, it was presented to, in the first instance, uh, the local authority and then uh, the local authority shared it with the other agencies. So we had a plan and we communicated that plan at that point. Once, once we got the green light from the venue to say this is good to go, we communicated it with the stakeholders. The learnings were immense and considerable. I mean, I've been doing this for many, many years, and I've learned more this year, I can tell you, than in, than in the past 30-odd. Um, the biggest learning initially was that I'd assumed, I look back now and think this was just insane, but I assumed that the supply base would be unaffected, and I hadn't given enough consideration to that. When we then came to activate the event and go to our suppliers, many of whom have been with us for years, I learned that they weren't in the same position as we were, meaning many were still in furlough. Uh, the cost of bringing staff out of furlough to service the event was prohibitive, and therefore they couldn't service us. And with that, you're kind of rudderless. So, so the supply chain was critical. 
the cost base in almost every, no, almost every, every aspect went up um, because there was, you know, a, a, a considerable impact to these businesses. And if they're opening for us and no one else at that point, you know, it was going to be a cost, it's a costly um, business. So, so that was the first learning. The second learning was at, at the point of going into March, I'd got a number of sponsors and partners that were contractually obliged to be with me. And the only deviation from that was a date change. Well, having coached and nurtured them through my thinking process with frequency right the way down the line, it then came to the point where I was able to call them and say, we're on, we're on, we're, we're authorized, we're safe. Um, the only caveat to that is a localized lockdown. And if there is one, we'll undertake to refund you 100% of your commitment to us. So we gave that promise. We now, we're calling it a COVID promise. We're, we're, we're not shying away from that fact. We're actually marketing around it. And, um, and then I learned about the real challenge, which was sponsors who are committed saying, well, we're not coming. Uh, we're not coming because we don't believe your vision. We're not coming because we don't believe that you can create a safe environment. And in some cases, we're a big business and we're not allowed to interact with you in this way. So in crude terms, I lost a lot of established business and then had to start again. And, and it was like going through a wash cycle at several revs per minute, spins per minute. I felt at some at the ends of some very long days, like I was the only one who could believe that this thing was going to happen. But that made me all the more determined. So, so where we were able to give confidence to the partners that we needed to, they came on board. We sought new ones, they came on board. The outcome of it was a really credible uh, collective of partners and sponsors and exhibitors. But by God, it was hard getting there. And I've, I have long memory and I've got very long positive memory for those people this in this last six months or so that, that stood by us and shared my vision. Uh, and they they will be rewarded, I can assure you, in in years to come if we're if we're transacting in the same world, because without them, I couldn't have done any of it. Yeah. So, and I think the two big things I took out of that more than anything were that collaboration and communication. So that kind of work together, work with your partners, find the right plan, work out what you can do together. But just keep talking to people, whether it's your local authority, whether it's your supply chain, whether it's your exhibitors, whether it's people coming to see. Just let them know what you're doing, what you're changing, where you are with things. Um, but it kind of feels like we've got two big um, gates, really, in terms of getting the exhibition industry open in the UK. So one is when the government says you're ready to go again. Great, we can open the doors. The second big gate is uh, exhibitor and visitor confidence. So getting people to actually trust that um, it's safe to come back, that there's going to be enough people on the show floor for visitors to interact with, for exhibitors to, to pull leads from. So how do you think we as an industry can start to build that confidence? Because really, that's the bit that we're in control of. We can't control what the government does about when they open, but we can control the perception that we give of, of confidence. And how do you think as an industry we can face up to that and, and get people back with us on the show floor next year? So I think that recognising that, that in my particular model, these are outdoor events. And so that's an important thing to state because... Uh, you know, I would not have been enabled any more than anybody else to run events indoors. Um, but but there's one thing that's really clear out of this year, and that is, I think we were the first major, if not the first major, then maybe the second major event to take place in the UK, not automotive, just event uh, of scale. And I chose to invite um, an awful lot of people from the exhibition community that I've really spent most of my life working in to come down and experience uh, what I was presenting um, and to do so for two reasons. The first, to enable them to have a good day out and see each other because to be honest, we miss it. We all miss it, we're people people. We're ultimately, we're showmen, I think, or show ladies. And what we want to do, our jobs is to is, is to bring people together to have a fantastic time, a memorable experience. And I thought, why should that preclude all of my friends who are in, who are in the traditional exhibition world? So, so they came down in huge number. The second reason to do it was to enable them to see what I'd done and to try and translate some of that back into their own worlds. Now, I'm not patronising here. I don't want to be patronising here. We, we were enabled to do things differently. We were outdoor. But I do believe that, that, that there were a number of component parts to our plan that could be shared with traditional event organisers or exhibition organisers. Um, and 
if there's anything that that is really good about what happened this year it's that there is hope and spirit in being able to see live events run we ran our london concours uh in on the 19th of august 18th to 19th of august um two weeks later we had a concours of elegance our biggest event at hampton court palace and there was a demonstrable interest in the hampton court palace show because people had seen that we delivered an event um, that's my audience I'm referencing here, but also I think that spirit and that positivity uh, will have been garnered by those people from the exhibition community that came along. And I, I um, well, the feedback I had was that that was absolutely the case. I don't think we should lose sight of something here, and that is in the UK, we are still regarded as being the best in the world at what we do here. And if there is an element of professionalism that's to be referenced, um, it should start in, in, in the UK and within our, within our capabilities. Ultimately, this is about confidence. There is a tick box of confidence that will have to be uh, achieved in working with government and getting sign off. I mean, no question about that. But I truly believe that there is a pent up enthusiasm which will be exercised across the patch, be it consumer shows, trade shows, indoor, outdoor. And... Uh, we are all by nature, we're human beings that want to interact with each other and the platforms that we provide in our worlds, in our, in our roles, enable that. So, so I think, um, yes, there are a number of technicalities around, you know, ensuring confidence, safety, and God knows, uh, to my point about us being the best in the UK, I think we're capable of doing that and showing others the way. Um, Notwithstanding the frustration of a you know a very successful trial that took place, um, I think a couple of days after my event closed in London at the BDC, and um, and then of course a, a backtracking from government, but but I believe we're poised and it's about a confidence level that I will be safe. The the platform that I am going to, the event that I'm going to, will will provide a rich experience for me either in learning more about my business, transacting and selling, uh, meeting uh, and learning. But th those platforms, if they're safe, remain probably more relevant than they ever have done, I think. Um, I feel for the venues, I feel for indoor event and exhibition organisers, but I truly believe that there is there is going to be a, a way for, forward. And my greatest concern is what's happening now, which is a number of these businesses sadly are running out of cash and as a result dropping off of the uh, dropping off of the, the organizing and supply chain absolutely and um many in our uh, audience our listeners are exhibitors who we try to kind of give some inspiration and some tips and some advice about how they can just exhibit more effectively and and get um, a better return and we know a lot of those exhibitors are now getting into budget prep planning for 2021 and having conversations with their, with their businesses about where their marketing spend is going to go in 21. Um, it feels like the event industry and exhibitions could be quite a soft target for that budget because finance directors could quite easily be saying, well, they're not going to happen next year. There's not going to be anybody at them anyway. Um, and it's a really tough conversation for some of our clients and people we work with to have that dialogue that says, no, I definitely want to be at exhibition still to be on our radar for 21. So having worked in the industry for years, what would you say that could help our exhibitors kind of plead their case really with their finance directors and with their senior teams about the importance of exhibitions and how it will help their recovery into 2021 and beyond? Well, I think um, if, if one goes back to understanding your audience, which is where this really starts and finishes, um, it's relatively straightforward to reach out to your your potential audience and ask them the simple question, if we were to run an event, would you come? And I, I don't think we should lose sight of some of the, um, frankly, simple tactics that events have been founded on for years. Research your audience, your potential audience, your marketplace, understand the dynamics of that marketplace, understand where the pressure points are and then serve back to them a solution that in this case is a live event medium. I do think that, that I remember someone saying to me, and this is a guy who's very wise in marketing and had been marketing trade shows for, for years. And I, I chaired a conference for the AEO and asked, and asked this chap to come on the panel. And I said to him, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to marketers out there around 
going into the future, expecting him to have some quick technological solution that I had never heard of. And he said, go analog for a moment, switch your brain from digital to analog and ask this simple question because the biggest issue that trade show organizers face is non-attendees. They tell you they're coming, but they don't. And it's for as long as the sun has risen in the morning, you tend to lose half of the people that say they're coming, but don't. So why don't you ask them this? Ask them, once they've registered to attend, what the likelihood of them coming is. Is it, I'm definitely attending, I may attend, or I probably won't attend. And then you can filter down in those three channels the communication messaging of reassurance to make sure that they come. Mm. Uh, I thought that was really interesting because it wasn't technologically driven. It wasn't a digital process. There were no algorithms. You were just doing the old-fashioned thing, which is asking your customers what they want and serving it back to them. And I think this is true around the current environment. So you can't force a community to come to your event. You can ask them what would be a compelling reason for them to attend. Don't lose sight of that. Build into it a conscious approach to the current environment called COVID. And if you're able to, offer them an assurance around that, which is, first of all, from a visitor perspective, you're going to be presenting them with a really safe environment. And God knows we can present cases of everyday living that are far more perilous around COVID than coming to a trade show. Okay, so the moment you go on a tube or a train, there's the first example. The second thing is, from a commercial perspective, if you're able to do it, offer the reassurance, the COVID promise, that you will refund them their money so they won't lose out financially if you are unable to run your show. Yeah. With those two simple track, two track approaches to a finance director, what it says is there's a qualified response from an audience that say they're going to come if we present them with the right event with this componentry. And secondly, if we don't, if we're unable to go, we don't lose any money. So, so that, I mean, it's a bit analog, but that's that's the approach that, that I would take. Um, I come back to the point that we're a, a really, I mean, round reputation, we're a really considered force, the exhibition community in the UK. We do it better than everybody else around the world. And, and we should trade on that and offer those assurances to all of our customer base. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so many really valid points in there around, you know, it, we can make this environment so much safer than a shopping mall or the high street on a, a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, we are obsessed with numbers and the bigger the numbers is supposed to define the better the event in this industry. And actually for exhibitors, smaller numbers are a good thing. You know, it's a much more targeted audience. It's people who really want to be there, who really are in a position to buy, who need your solution for their own business to recover. So actually there being fewer people coming through the doors isn't necessarily a bad thing for exhibitors. That's kind of the, the message well, I, we're trying to get through. I think you're absolutely right. We didn't talk about it, but the model that I run with with, with the Concord events in the UK is kind of counterintuitive to the, the regular consumer event organiser model, which is prefaced by the more people I get, the more gate revenue I get, the more successful I am. Our model is not that. We 70% of the people that come to our events come because they've been invited by a partner or a sponsor. And there's a natural filter in that. And then around those people that, that want to come who are not privileged enough to receive an invitation, there is a way of coming, which is to buy a ticket. But we make the ticket pricing almost prohibitive because we don't just want anybody coming. We want people who are right for our, for our commercial partners. And there is no shame in a really highly effective, a highly efficient and a filtered audience. And if that's what comes out of all of this for trade show organisers, so be it. Um, yeah. So be it. I don't think that's a bad thing. We've long gone are the days where audience volumes matter. Honestly, they really don't. It's the interaction that takes place between buyer and seller and what then ensues in the, in the forthcoming months, years. That's what that's what counts. Yeah. And I say this often in the podcast, if people could see me, we don't show the audio, the, the visuals of, uh, of our shows, but I'm just sitting here on the other side of the microphone, nodding my head to everything that Andrew's <laughs> saying. And it's yeah, absolutely that. Just stop obsessing over the numbers. Think about the people that you definitely, that you want to see that are going to make a difference to your business. Talk to them before the show, talk to them at the show and keep talking to them after the show finishes, you know, all the way through. So um, we are racing towards the end of our conversation today. So, um, it's been brilliant to talk to you, Andrew. There's so much in there that I think will be useful for everybody as we face up to um, a challenge in 21, hopefully not quite as challenging as 20, but a challenge in 21. What are you really missing about the show floor? What are you looking forward to um, getting back to in, in 2021? Uh, you know what? My um, I think my last, notwithstanding my own events, but my last 
um, sizable interaction with the people that I've grown up with over many decades in the event industry was by going to Excel and attending Confex and, and that serendipitous thing. I can't I can't speak any more highly about the enjoyment that I get around that. I, I, you know, it's the most pleasurable couple of days I spend, ironically, by going to somebody else's event. Um, I can't wait to sit around the metaphorical table with my event industry friends to share the war stories, to enable some more enthusiasm, to build some confidence and to stride forward. I, I'm, I miss that. I'm craving personal interaction. Uh, I have a lovely study from which to work and I've got a beautiful view out of the garden, but to be honest with you, I'm like a caged lion. I want to go and meet people and I don't think I'm unusual in that respect. And I want to share the experiences of the last uh, period because it's only, and we're very good at this, by the way, you know, uh, the, the rivalry around event and exhibition organisers almost disappears when we get together because we're really willing to share ways to make things better. We, by and large, are an industry that employ nice people. And for that reason, I miss that. And I, I, I kind of want to get back around that metaphorical table and, and interact and learn myself as well, because there's an awful lot of people that, that have had experiences that um, that I could benefit from uh, as well. So yeah, get it, get ironically getting back and meeting people is what all I want to do. And I think it's really important that something that you sort of picks up on there as well as as event professionals, we're very used to the show closes, that finishes, you're on to the next, and you permanently onto the next, onto the next, onto the next, and don't always give the reflection back onto the event you've just come out of. But we have come out of a really really tough period, and it feels like there is an important process almost kind of catharsis that we need to go through just together to kind of acknowledge that it's been a tough time for us and let's learn and let's and we're not very good at an as an industry sometimes at just stopping and pausing and looking back and thinking right what did we learn and how do we use that better and maybe we need that going into next year just to see how everybody did get through and share some of those successes and tips and as you say learning from each other. Yeah I think you're right I mean when when it wasn't that long ago that I was running trade shows and uh, for understandable reasons the, the, the whole obsession it seemed to me was around a rebook. In other words, this this sort of uncultured uh, attempt to secure forward bookings for the next event, and that was a measure of success. But actually, it's a bit counterintuitive because that stopping and reflecting and listening and learning and then crafting a proposition is a great deal more important because it will give you a stickiness, a longevity to your relationships with your partners and your sponsors and your exhibitors if you're running trade shows. And I, I rather hope that, that there will be some reflections that are really positive around the way that we operate as a medium, as a business, and the way that we, we interact and we treat our customers, because we're going to need a lot of that. We're going to need to rebuild their confidence and we're going to give them, we're going to give them extraordinary experiences, but we want to actually listen a lot more. That's what I think should come out of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it has been brilliant speaking to you today. Um, we are recording this in um, late October. So chances are we may be moving into lockdown reasonably soon, I think. Um, so what got you through lockdown? Any books, any great films, any good habits that you're going to keep up into the future? Um, well, if you could describe family as a habit, which I haven't really thought of that, like a lot of people, I, I really enjoyed being around my family. I mean, we're kind of passing ships in the night. I've got two children, one, one a daughter who's 20, a son who's 19. They were both locked in this house with me and my wife and our Cocker Spaniel, Jasper, and it was great because it taught me that we're a really tight family unit. We love each other's company. Perversely... Um, I've lost them both. I've got the dog. He's still here. My wife's still here for the moment. Uh, I say that because every day I wake up and think how lucky I am, but I don't know if she feels the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, sure she does. <laughs> so my son's training in the Royal Marines. I won't see him for um, a considerable time. And my daughter's gone back to uni. But that was the that was the that was the key enjoyment. I didn't find myself changing my path of of um, personal behaviours very much. I walk the dog every morning to get myself fresh air. I love the outdoor space. I didn't sit and read any more than I would normally. Um, no, I think it was all about family, to be honest with you, and good old conversation. And um, I kind of miss that, but it will come back for Christmas, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds sounds brilliant. I think that's how many people got through those tough months. So, um, Andrew, it's been absolutely great speaking to you. If people want to get hold of you and find out more either about your events or 
how what you learned from from the process of delivering those events is linkedin the best way for them to get in touch with you yeah linkedin is a really effective platform for that and if there's if there's something that i can share there's a very fine line in in this conversation between me appearing to be someone who is celebrating the success of running an event whilst everybody else is not everybody else but a lot of people struggling like hell um if there's anything that i can offer i don't have all the answers for goodness sake but if there is a conversation that ensues that enables one small bit of information to flow positively to help someone else i'm all for that so yeah linkedin is probably the best the best route for it um ha- happy to channel conversations and move through through that through that platform so it's very simple as i am andrew evans linkedin fire <laughs> <laughs> events Right. And I think just finally picking up on something you said there is that, you know, the conversations we've had, I'm very conscious of the fact that um, we were talking about events that we're able to run and it could almost come across as a little, as you say, a little bit of celebration, a little bit of smugness of how I run my event. And absolutely from the first conversation we had, your empathy for the rest of the industry has shone through and the desire to just want to help and having been through that process once and landed an event, just anything at all that you can share to help people, that's been your your key, mo- the only motivation for getting out there and sharing your story. So I think that that empathy has shone through um, really, really strongly for me, which is, is lovely and a great reflection of our industry in general, I think. So. Okay, well, thank you for saying that, because that's exactly what I wanted to do this for. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So brilliant to speak to you. Um, good luck with the next few months as um, where, wherever that falls out. And we look forward to seeing you on the show floor in uh, in 2021. Likewise, I'd like to meet you personally, Nicola. Let's do that at the next event. Uh, Over a beer sometime, yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers for now. Bye. Thanks to Andrew there for his time talking to us. And I think just a brilliant example of a can-do attitude of looking at what the restrictions and the guidance are and thinking, okay, how do we do this anyway? Working within those guidelines, how do we make this safe? And and a really positive can-do attitude, which I think we're all going to need as we move through the next few weeks and into 2021. So thanks so much to Andrew for his time. Um, Coming up on next week's show, and as I say again, yep, next week we are currently going out weekly on the podcast. We are talking to Zoe Lacey-Cooper, and Zoe is the Portfolio and Events Director of Accountex, and she moved her event online earlier in the year when the pandemic first hit. So it'll be interesting to hear from Zoe about the challenges that she had to overcome and what she did about that, and actually grew the audience and grew their portfolio of shows during what's been a really difficult time. So that's it from us on the show this week. As usual, you can get in touch with us in all the usual ways. So over on the website at www.inspiringexhibitors.com, you can sign up for the newsletter there, which comes out fortnightly with all the latest news and advice from around the industry. And you can also grab yourself a copy of The Exhibitionist, which is the um, all-in-one guide to delivering brilliant uh, exhibitions and events. And that is still on at the Black Friday price. So hopefully you have enjoyed the show today. Have a great week. We look forward to talking to you again when we're back and happy exhibitioning. Pop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs, and future podcasts that keep you up to date with the latest news and industry insight. While there, you can also find out more about our book, The Exhibitionist, Inspiring Trade Show Excellence. Once again, thank you for listening and we hope to see you on a trade show floor soon.